Hi Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends fi- pick two topics and find intersections. Sure do. Or <laughs> not. And we are a psychology and history podcast. Here to talk to you about psychology and history. I know. And you said you were really excited about your topic, so I'm excited that you're excited. I think this is the most excited I've been for a topic. Ever? Maybe all season. Oh, okay. It certainly doesn't top there were a few like really great topics from season one mm-hmm. um shout out to willie m which i re-listened to oh yeah and is great um also i love our epigenetics episode that one you know went hard but people this one, enjoyed people enjoyed last week's episode because we got all creepy oh yep yep hoarding was a big hit this season i've really i really enjoyed hoarding yeah girl <laughs> Time yep. is weird. <laughs> I, I, I think I, I think in my mind I'm separating seasons based on where we were recording. Right. And I right. remember recording that at the apartment. So I'm like, oh, that's season one. Yeah. Nope. I. That was yeah. Season two. It was okay. Yep. Ninety nine percent. Oh, I am sure because Jack Wowza made us uh, like those really cool videos. It was uh-huh. horror, cosmic horror, and oh, hoarding, uh-huh. and the cosmic horror. Um, little video uh-huh. he did was phenomenal. A little bit Alexa. Yep, yep. Alexis. A little bit Alexis. Alexis, not Alexa. Yeah. Um, so before we get into our topic this week, or topics this week, I want to know, we talked, oh, we posted the charcuterie board, and everyone was like, girl dinner. Girl right? dinner. And I want to know, have you heard of girl math? Yeah. Yeah. We, so, yes, because, well, oh, God, I don't remember what it was, but when I return things, I absolutely make money. Well, that was, so here's, I, I saw a TikTok about this and have been thinking about it ever since. So you return a mirror and you get $30 back. Then you buy a new mirror that was $50. How much did you spend? $20. $20. <laughs> it does not matter. $20. <laughs> Final answer. Right. If you pay with cash, how much did something cost? Zero dollars. Zero dollars. It is free. That's mm-hmm. correct. Mm-hmm. Free is my favorite number. Me too. If you say you're invited out with a bunch of friends and you decide not to go. Oh, I've made money. You have made money. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am, you have. If I have a gift card. Um, free. Free. For sure. Yep. I have so many gift cards I need to use. <laughs> I love fun. So I squirrel away money. It's one of my best qualities i think and i squirrel away and hide gift cards from myself and then find them six oh. months to a year later so i have a target gift card that i need to go nice like, burning you know. a hole in your pocket yeah i need to go buy a new shampoo so i'm about to get some free shampoo <laughs> hell yeah hell yeah i think that starbucks makes probably 25 percent of its income based on five dollar gift cards that never get reimbursed no, Starbucks is a real problem because they have the app where you can upload money. Oh. So you can upload money from like any of your cards. They're connected to your Apple wallet or whatever into the Starbucks app. And if you wait more than a day, it's free money. Right. Yeah. Now, if you do it the same day, it's a little questionable. Sure. But like if I upload it on a Monday night, Tuesday morning, if I go get coffee, that's free coffee. 
You've forgotten all about it. Exactly. It's already come out of my bank account. I no longer care. Right. And it's free. Oh, 100%. Which is really problematic, by the way. No way. <laughs> no, I think also if I if I move money to my savings and then I move it back to my checking, like let's say, you know, I squirreled away to and then I spend it on my car. Uh-huh. That still feels to me like I'm spending money because it's something that I wish I didn't have to do. Sure, but when you move it from your savings to your checking, I feel like you've made money at that point. Yes, but I also would have wanted to have spent it on other massage. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could see that. I could or, see that. and I'm really low on uh, hyaluronic acid right now. Girl, I gotta get some more. So I've been using, I have an eye cream. Mm. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> I have an eye cream that's a hyaluronic acid eye cream. And what am I doing? I'm using the eye cream all over my face right now <laughs> because I really have to go get some more. Well, in that case, I think we need to go shopping. Mm-hmm. I think that the moral of the story there is let's go shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it reminds me of another TikTok I saw recently that was like dropping the eye cream onto your face. And mm-hmm. then, you know, some of them have like a little roller stick that goes oh, with uh-huh. them. And it was to the stop, drop, and roll oh. sound <laughs> or like audio that's going around right now. So that was fun. I used to have a, a roller for my face, but then I, I just... Who's got the time? You had like a rose quartz one, right? That you kept in your freezer? It wasn't rose quartz, but it was something else. Jade. Yep, exactly. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. I knew it was one or the other. Not only my favorite beer, but also... Right. Also your favorite roller that you used to have but no longer have. Correct. Yeah. I don't know where she is. That's okay. Um, That's also making me question whether mine is rose quartz because I think we had different ones and I look at mine every day, but I actually... What color? Well, what color? I don't remember. What? Yep. I look at it too often to remember what it is. If it's green, it's jade. If it's rose, it's rose. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So my problem is I have nose blindness when it comes to things. You know how like you look at your nose all the time because Uh you can always see your nose and if it's there, then you ignore it. Uh I have that about things that I look at all the time but don't use regularly. That's fair. So I know I have one. I have zero idea what color it is. Question. Yes. Can you feel your ears? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It's just one of those things (laughs) that you just don't. (laughs) There is no words. If I'm touching them, then... Well, I know if you're touching them. But no, not regularly. But even if you're touching them... Can you feel them, or can you just (laughs) feel it through your fingers? Right, that's what I'm thinking. (gasps) Guys, we've only had half a beer each. But I think... So if if you were to touch my ear, I would feel it, and I would know somebody was touching my ear. Right, right. But if you're touching your own ear... Right. Huh. Yeah, because... Does that apply to every bit? happening does that apply i'm touching my face everyone just touch a piece of their body and where do you feel that i feel it in my fingers maybe it's because we have more nerves in our fingertips there we go so your brain is only processing that right well it's just like when you have an itch right and you scratch it somewhere else sometimes that alleviates the itch like, Ooh. maybe it's not socially acceptable to itch some places. Right, right. At Science. certain places and times. Is, so maybe you itch somewhere else and it alleviates that. 
Huh. I can't say as I've ever tried that. I will be trying that. There we go. In the future. Next time you got to pick your wedgie. (laughs) Just pick something else. (laughs) All right. I picked our topic for the first topic today. Yes, you did. You picked the first one every time. I do. Except for sometimes. I'm also like trying to get better at these transitions and just really don't ever feel like I nail it. But you got it. It's, you know, being awkward is charming, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've only mentioned TikTok how many times in this intro? 47. Right. So I was scrolling TikTok and halfway paying attention to the job search I was working on as one does. And then this video comes up talking about making money and ways to increase your passive income, which is super attractive, right? Feed finder. So I was intrigued and went to the comment section and instantly started seeing phrases like, quote, be your own boss. (gasps) Are you talking about girl bosses? No. No. Damn. Make your life work for you, which if I hadn't already been somewhat suspicious would have sounded great. The trouble is, I've been present for our cult series, specifically the one on MLMs, which means that this immediately sent up red flags for me. So today, we're going to be talking about the psychology of MLMs and cults. Love it. And I am so excited. I love an MLM. We all do. And we hate them. (laughs) So first, we're going to level the playing field. You've done MLMs in the past, specifically for our cult series. But MLM stands for Multi-Level Marketing Schemes and Businesses. They've been around since like the 1950s and have always been kind of controversial. But the rise of Facebook and Instagram mean that we've more recently seen them in kind of a new light. It's an interesting, yeah, it's a new, it's a new way to reach more people right. in a way that we haven't. The marketing is brilliant, right? Like you lure people in really easily um, and then... They're hooked, and they join your MLM, and it's great, except it's not. But basically, they're businesses that sell their products through distributors, like the people who sell, not distributors, like big businesses, distributors rather than retail or online stores. Some examples include Mary Kay Cosmetics, Herbalife, Amway, LuLaRoe, doTERRA, Scentsy, and Avon. We've all felt the push of MLMs, whether we've been pitched a product or watched someone we love fall down the rabbit hole, which sounds super ominous. Kel- uh, Canadian Kels on TikTok has a very popular series called, quote, Pyramid Spreadsheets, um, where she tracked down and created a spreadsheet for all the MLM folks in her hometown in Canada. Hmm. And she starts talking about having like lost a lot of friends friends over MLMs and then makes the connection between what MLM you're in and what religion you're in. Interesting. How young you had kids and what MLM you're in. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other demographics and things she uses. Um, But like the intersection of all of these major life events and how that impacts Mm -hmm. potentially what MLM you join. So I found a cool infographic that I'm going to read off to you and then we're going to get into the psychology of this. Have you heard of Amway? Yeah. Okay. I don't think I had, but it's one of the biggest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it used to be really big oh, in the 80s okay. and 90s. Gotcha. So the revenue is $8.8 billion. It was founded in the U.S. in 1959, and the starting fee is only $100. Can do. Yeah, yeah. For sure. The second is Avon. 
Um, it had it started in the U.S. in 1886. No way. 86. 18. 86. 86. Yep. Wow. Um, Yowza. And its annual revenue is $5.7 billion. Um, and it's between $25 and $100 for starter kits. Herbalife, which... That's a new one. It's a newer one. Started in the 1980s, also in the U.S. It's $94.10 for a starter kit. And they've made $4.5 billion. Mm. Mary Kay... Mary Kay, get Which, yourself your Cadillac. I've recently heard more about Mary Kay than some of the others. I don't know if some of like the people from my hometown have recently mm-hmm. found a newfound love for Mary Kay, but it's been coming up on my feed a lot more. To me, the makeup is an interesting uh, sect of an MLM because it's so accessible other places. Like, why would I purchase it through a catalog or through a salesperson when I can just go because to Ulta. you're helping a person and their family. Sure. I'm helping a hashtag girl boss. Right. Exactly. So um, it started in Germany, which I did not know, Ooh. in 1963. It's made $3.5 billion And uh, it's a $100 kit plus inventory. And then I'm going to skip a few because I didn't know these. Tupperware counts. Oh, my God. Tupperware parties used to be huge. They were massive, yeah. 1946 in the U.S., $2.21 billion, um, and $99.99 starter kit. Let's see. Are there any others that you're especially interested in? If not, I'll scroll down. Um, so, my mom used to purchase Beauty Control, which may be a... Like a, a, it may be another company that's also purchased. By, oh, okay. But that was in the 90s. What about the Cutco knives? Oh, great question. I do not see them here. Do you know what I'm talking about? I though? do. Actually, I interviewed for Cutco when <gasps> I was Stop. in college in like my sophomore year. So we knew each other already. Wow. Went to this massive interview. They asked me like all sorts of things and gave me the job, obviously, on the spot. Of course. You were so, so qualified. Right. So I called my mom and my dad and I was like telling them that I got this job and it was flexible and all these things. And my dad was like, is it smart for a young lady to be walking around with a set of knives going into strangers' <laughs> homes? <laughs> I was like, well, Steve. when you put it like that. That's, uh, and also, they were like, Carrie Ann, it's a cult. Run away. <laughs> right. We know exactly what Cutco Knives is. Thank you, Dad, for saving me from joining a cult. There we go. Um, young, young Living is one. Young that Living. I have heard of. I think that's the um, oils. Oh, essential oils? Yep. Uh, USA 1993 does not say how much it costs mm. to start. And then I found aromatherapy. Right. Okay. So, back to the psychology. Entry is really simple. No special training or sales experience is needed as long as you can pay the investment fee. Once you become a distribu- distributor... Oh, you- my God. Um, yes. Fucking... Lululemon. LuLaRoe. LuLaRoe. Oh, actually, we talk about LuLaRoe a lot. Perfect. I do not see them in the top 25, though, which is what I had pulled up. Sorry. But we we talk about LuLaRoe a lot. Perfect. Um, And I 
think it was like they made two billion in the first 10 years or something like that anyways um so hold that thought we'll come back to it okay so once you become a distributor you have to pay a fee to join and buy the starter kit okay so the starter kit is basically your first round of inventory Mm -hmm. so you buy that and then you sell it and theoretically you make more than what you spent to buy it right Mm mm-hmm but you only actually make a small percentage of what you sell. The MLM gets a cut, and every distributor in your upline does too. So uplines and downlines work like you get recruited by somebody who's recruited by somebody who was recruited by somebody all the way to the top. So most of the time, distributors don't make any money by selling products, but they make money by recruiting someone else to join the MLM. So the more people you have in your downline, the more potential and passive income you get. One website, magnifymoney.com, surveyed 1,049 MLM scheme participants from a variety of MLMs and found that 20% of participants never made a sale. Ooh. 18.3 if you exclude those who signed up just for the discounts. Mm, that's me. Yeah. reported earning less than $500 over the past five years. Mm. It's actually really hard. Uh, Well, sales, eh, don't even get me started. But I think they're preaching this idea that, like, you know, as a mom, you're going to be able to, like, work for yourself and make your own hours and have your own schedule. And then it turns out to be something a little bit different. Exactly. Um, Which is like 70 cents an hour, though. That's not enough. No, you can't. You can't live on seventy cents an hour. <laughs> Minimum wage in North Carolina is seven twenty-five an hour. Seven twenty-five, and has been since two thousand and nine. <laughs> so, if you're not making much money, but you're willing to fight with family and friends, and even lose people over this product that you love so strongly, why? Psychology. Many people have pointed out that you can't just look at MLMs as businesses, but actually as cults. Most MLMs use tactics of recruitment, financial manipulation, promise of large profits. Like all cults, they employ thought control, magical thinking, thought stopping, and self-blame. This group has no accountability, and the leaders do not allow um, the people below them to ask questions or bring up criticism. Side note, I'm about to tell you the coolest job title that I've ever said on this podcast. Rick Ross is the executive director of the Ross Institute for the Study of Destructive Cults, Controversial Groups, and Movements. Damn. Are you hiring? Yeah, right? (laughs) Hit me up. (laughs) So he highlighted a few warning signs to watch out for in regards to cults, but a lot of these can be applied to MLMs. Um, Despite being a risky and controversial model, little research has been invested into the personal characteristics that increase attraction to multi-level marketing opportunities like Amway and Herbalife. Um, A two-wave survey of 1,503 people revealed the attraction to multi-level marketing opportunities was associated with, with stronger life goals for becoming rich, famous, and attractive, belief systems related to spirituality and thought action fusion, or the belief that your thoughts create your reality, cognitive decision-making styles that emphasize intuitive over rational thinking, intrinsic psychological needs, meaning the um, need for control and for your life to have meaning, 
Um, and those psychological needs showed the least consistent associations. Based on these findings, uh, one research uh, was able to provide guidance for customer advocates and policymakers to consider individual psychological factors in campaigns to improve decision making around MLMs. So basically, they're looking for these certain things in folks who they're trying to recruit to join the the MLM. Mm-hmm. Like they want people who have these big life goals of becoming rich, famous, attractive, etc. Um, and the belief that your thoughts create your reality because you can work with that, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I tell you that you do all this stuff, then those are your thoughts and they become your reality. They do not want people who have a need for control and who really want their life to have a lot of meaning. So that's kind of the profile we're going for. So back to Rick Ross, who came up with these um, warning signs to watch out for. We're going to go through each one. Absolute authoritarianism without any meaningful accountability. Mm, You got to have accountability. You got to have accountability from the higher ups. Accountability buddies. Again, these are notes from medium.com. Quote, whenever someone enters an MLM, they buy a quote unquote starter kit, which could potentially be hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of inventory or it could be hundreds or thousands of dollars worth of inventory. The person who bought the starter kit thinks that they're making an investment, but the company is actually making a sale. Right. So true. Because that's your inventory. No matter what happens to it, if you leave it in the car and it expires, that's on you. Too damn bad. Mm -hmm. The company has made their sale. They're done. Mm -hmm. Like, they're good. So it doesn't matter what you do once you have it. What matters is the company has already made that commission. And anything from the distributor is like icing on the cake. So it's a bonus, but not in any way necessary. But we're talking about authoritarianism without accountability not how the business of MLMs work, except that the system creates a lack of accountability on the part of MLMs. People are led to believe that they're going to make a decent side income, but ultimately end up going into debt, which places a strain on the person and the people they love. The company is making money off their distributors and often encouraging them to buy books or tapes um, that the company publishes, so putting more money into their pockets Um, They encourage them to attend rallies and seminars, which also cost to Mm -hmm. attend. Um, So in in addition to buying inventory, there are all these other funding streams. And those things are then like further manipulating people into continuing in the MLM. Um, And the MLM leadership really doesn't care about any single person's success or failure in the MLM because they have plenty of other participants. And once people are invested, they will keep throwing their money into the company. When you create an organization of contracted 1099 contractors, Mm -hmm. not employees, not W-4 employees that work for you, that are eligible for benefits, you create a really... You create no accountability from the management because they're not technically employees exactly so you are essentially on an island by yourself yes and there's i don't know if it's a non-compete i don't know exactly what's going on but you cannot own a store where you sell the things that you're they're part of the mlm or sell any unique inventory so Hmm. 
in addition, they have, like, a lot of control over the lives of the people who are participating. Right. Um, and I, they would probably argue that it's for consistency purposes. Right. You know, McDonald's had a lot of fight back on that when they were introducing the mm-hmm. fast food model. Yeah. Like, why do I have to sell Coca-Cola if this is my business? Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, but that also means that, like, it's more power for the MLMs and less for the distributors who are making shit anyways. Then, number two, there's no tolerance for questions or any critical inquiry. So people start to raise concerns or question the MLM and they realize when they realize they're spending money and not really making anything in return and want to know why. Um, MLMs teach their employees to shame anybody who says bad things about their company. So I feel like they're employing a little bit of girl math here. They're like, you spent money on this inventory six months ago, so anything that you make is actually just profit. When really, like... Totally true. Yeah. Damn it. Damn girl money. (laughs) Uh, Douglas Brooks, who is an attorney who represents victims of pyramid schemes, describes what happens when distributor questions the MLM's authority. Quote, you're trained to avoid people who question whether this is viable business or not, and they try to isolate you from people who question your belief system. So he's heard this from, I forget how many people he has represented in court when it comes to MLMs, but this is like a consistent message that he was hearing was um, avoid people who question you or your MLM, and then they try and isolate you so that the you're in essentially an echo chamber. You also feel silly to have allowed yourself to participate in something that may like you know when you're ashamed you're like it's not really as great as i thought it was going to be but from a pride perspective you're like i don't want to like it well i can't back out now right yeah um number three there are no meaningful financial disclosures so some of the top mlms take in millions or even billions of dollars lula roe that you mentioned earlier went from zero to two billion in less than 10 years Most of that money was from distributors, not actual customers. To start out in LuLaRoe, you have to buy a $4,900 startup kit. That is so much money. So much money. And then you have to have a place to store your inventory, which if you're targeting, you know, stay-at-home moms or young moms, they may not have space in their home, so you have to rent space, potentially. Um, you have to buy business cards, you have to buy extra hangers, you have to like have a setup to be able to sell either online or at fairs and things. Um, some websites estimate that it takes up to $15,000 in LuLaRoe before you see any profit. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it doesn't tell you how long that takes. So $15,000 into LuLaRoe before you start making money. Right. But so, then how long does it, I, I think profit's a misleading word there. Like, how long does it take to pay off that $15,000 that you invested before you actually start seeing profit? Because if we take away girl math, then it's going to take some time to pay off $15,000. I wonder how that lines up with just a general like brick and mortar business that opens because i think that they're still saying 
profit starts five years after yeah. you open your store, right? Yeah. So I wonder how much of that is based on the model and how that differs from like another industry or right. adjacent industry brick and mortar. That's a great question. And I do not know. Um, so, and we don't know because there are no meaningful financial disclosures from the company. So we know how much they pull in because that's a huge selling point for the company, but they don't disclose where that money is coming from, whether it's coming from selling products, distributors, um, seminars, rallies, etc. The distributor is actually a customer to the organization, mm-hmm. not, right. not a, a partner. Of, exactly. Number four, this is where I think the psychology really comes into play and is kind of scary. Number four, for what is classified as a cult or one of the ways that we classify cults, an unreasonable fear of the outside world. Hmm. So in a metaphorical sense, MLMs are doing this by isolating their distributors. They may not be putting them in bunkers or planning for the second coming, but there's definitely an isolation that happens. And the way that they do it is brilliant. MLM's target audience is generally stay-at-home moms or those who are looking for a little side income to add a little bit of intention to their day. They like the flexible hours. And the MLM promises a sense of belonging and community that feels really good. You become friends with the other distributors and you feel a connection to the person or the people who recruited you. Because you are so limited in your consumer base to basically being friends, family, and people you meet on the street, MLMs encourage their members to sell and provide scripted um, posts for Facebook or Instagram. So it's really about like sell to your friends, sell to your family, sell on social media. Uh, We'll help make all of this possible, except that people get really annoyed with all of those buy from me, buy from me, this is what I'm selling, posts, right? Do you ever get any Facebook messages? You're like, hey, we went to elementary school together. What have you been up to? By the way, I'm a part of something really special. So actually, my next part is a true story. (gasps) And after we're not recording, I'm going to tell you I was going to say, I want names and dates. I know. (laughs) So I had this friend for a while in late high school, early college. Uh She was actually dating a very close friend of mine and hung out at my house every weekend while I was at UNCG. So, or while I was in college, giving you a clue there. Okay. Um, A few years ago, she joined an MLM and really became a different person. So much so that she messaged me on Instagram one day and said, hey, Carrie... Oh, no, 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 no. And no, the no. rest of the message was super impersonal. Imp- impersonal? Mm-hmm. I don't Are know you why okay? that sounds weird to me. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, as friends, we went through a lot together, but I was, like, offended. Well, who calls you Carrie, first of all? Nobody. 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 It's Carrie Ann, C.A., my mom calls me sis. Mm-hmm. And my brother still does too. Mm-hmm. But like, that's it. Yep. Um, so I read through it and almost got offended. And I was, you know, I realized it was just a mass message that was going out to a bunch of people. But to put Carrie rather than Carrie Ann mm-hmm. was 
Red flag. Yeah. Clutch your pearls. She drank the Kool-Aid. Exactly. So when distributors start pitching their products, it gets really annoying. And I don't want to demonize all distributors, but many people I've talked to get irritated and they don't really know like what to do or how to even hang out with this person once they drink the Kool-Aid, which causes the participants to become more isolated because they're only reaching out to friends and family or people on social media. Well, and we all have different rings of friendship, right? Yeah. So, like, if you're messaging people you haven't talked to in in five years, that's got to be, like, the outermost ring. And once you've, like, once you've used up all those resources, you're your employee or not your employee base but your buyer base is gone yeah you've exhausted all the people who are going to buy from you oh absolutely and i mean it's it feels good at first like when you first get started i'm sure there are a bunch of people who want to support like everyone wants to support their friends yeah we have a podcast we know (laughs) (laughs) but then like constantly trying to sell things gets old for everybody 100 percent. yeah and when this happens the distributors become isolated, and then they fall back on their MLM families, which pulls them deeper into the world of MLMs, right? Because then you're in this echo chamber and hearing all of these things with no outside influence. So when they feel ready to leave, it isn't like quitting a job. The MLM has become their closest confidants, so leaving feels like a huge loss. Number five, it's hard to find a legitimate reason to leave. So again, this is true for cults and in this case, MLMs. It's hard for folks to get out for two reasons. Number one, the promise of wealth. Cults do this all the time too, whether it's wealth in money or wealth in heaven or- Or health and wealth. Health and wealth. But the promise of health, the prizes and rewards and incentives for the most successful distributors, the pink Corvette, thousands of dollars, whatever it may be, just stick it out a little longer, invest more, work harder. Why would you leave? The MLM becomes their community. Other members may shame them for leaving and they might be losing friends. Seeing the light when your peers don't is hard and even more isolating, especially if you've been so caught into this that... Um, you've sort of cut yourself off from your friends' friends. The former director of Mary Kay, Carolyn, I forgot to put down uh, her last name, shared her experience of leaving Mary Kay in an article on Pink Truth. Ooh. Quote, I was heartbroken to walk away from Mary Kay. Or I was heartbroken to walk away. I loved Mary Kay, and I thought I had done it for my family. All of my Mary Kay friends started to cut ties with me. I learned through the grapevine that, quote, I made myself look like a failure when I returned to my inventory. Nothing I had done in 10 years of commitment, growth, overcoming obstacles, dedication to the people in my unit, dedication to Mary Kay's dream, nothing meant anything to the people who were supposed to be my friends after I quit. Wow. Yeah. And that's from an article called Mary Kay is set up so you can't succeed. Wow. That she wrote as the former director. Yeah, I wonder if she was like a director of operations or if she was just so great at sling and makeup that they give you some type of title. Fantastic question. I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, former members often 
relate the same stories of abuse is number six. So the internet is full of former MLM members warning others about the deception of these companies. Um, so, of course, the Mary Kay quote that we just read, the um, attorney who had uh, supported so many folks in trying to leave MLMs or recoup some of their losses, um, the, the TikTok that we mentioned earlier, everyone has these stories of individuals who have left MLMs, and they're all talking about the same psychological manipulation and abuse that happens and how hard it is to leave. And number seven, followers feel like they can never be, quote, good enough. Mm. So we know that we don't make money by advertising the success of some of the distributors who profit is psychological manipulation. Um, And it's reinforcing this hustle culture, which says, if you just work harder, you'd get rich, too. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of shame, isolation, psychological manipulation, um, a lack of compassion or care from the people who are running them. Like all of these big major psychological um, things are at play in recruiting and maintaining staff and not even staff, I'm sorry, distributors through MLMs. Mm -hmm. So as time goes on and participants lose money, their self-esteem diminishes and they feel like it's their fault for their failures. Anytime they attempt to blame the MLM system, the blame is only shifted back to them by other distributors who are unwilling to accept criticism about the company. This is coupled with financial devastation, conflict with loved ones, and makes for a really gross cocktail of psychological crisis. Mm. Multi-level marketing schemes may try and masquerade as legitimate, profitable organizations, but their business practices resemble cults more than actual companies. It is possible to profit from participating in legitimate multi-level marketing programs, but too often MLM marketers make little money or even lose some. On top of that, the pyramid schemes masquerade as multi-level marketing programs, which blurs the line between legal MLMs and illegal pyramid schemes. Unfortunately, or fortunately, you can avoid MLM scams and pyramid schemes by understanding what to look for and how to protect yourself. I'm going to give you eight quick warning signs. Mm. One, the program doesn't offer a legitimate product or service. Oh, yeah. Run. Two, the product can't provide proof of revenue from retail sales. If they're being shady with it, run. The program charges an upfront fee in order pr- to participate. Mm-hmm. They see you as the customer. That's like, mo- you know, modeling agencies that are like yes. shady, you know, like, oh, buy these, you know, modeling lessons from us and we'll represent you. Right, right. Ooh. Without any guarantee that you're going to actually be represented. Engaged. Yeah, right. Yeah. Four, the program's commission structure is confusing or a promoter claims that the company doesn't have an income disclosure statement. Big red flag. Five, promoters make unrealistic claims about the money-making potential. Promoters apply pressure, urging you to act quickly so that you don't miss out on this great opportunity, uh, which can be presented as limited spots or a one-time sale that isn't actually limited. Promoters overemphasize the need to recruit new participants instead of stressing the need to sell products or services. They sell the opportunity more than they sell the products themselves. 
and promoters urge participants to purchase access inventory in order to remain in the program. This can be represented as, quote, having stock in case another customer wants something immediately, claiming participants will lose a sale if the products have to be shipped. So really, they're selling these products to individuals, regardless of whether or not they're actually ever going to sell them. Mm -hmm. So in short, if you see red flags, save your money and invest somewhere else. There are lots of us who are looking for other opportunities to make a little extra right now. The economy sucks. Capitalism is killing people. But getting caught up in these schemes is growing increasingly easy. Mm -hmm. Um, They're attractive and the marketing is really brilliant. Just be sure you're being thoughtful and intentional about how you want to make extra money. I wonder how much of it is about really wanting to make money and the other half is like having really a community ha- wanting to be a part of a community because yeah. the the core group of people who are participating in MLMs are not well and I'm speculating here but it, I don't think it's a necessarily a financial issue no. or a financial incentive it's about the Facebook groups and the conferences and the community having and, your people mm-hmm. yeah. and I think that would make it even harder right because it's it's easier to quit if it's just not the right fit or if you really want to it's harder when you don't want to leave agreed agreed and then with all the psychological manipulation that goes into it and just pulling you in deeper and making you closer with all the other people who are also in it's a tough place to be, except that you're losing so much money. And ultimately, is it helping or hurting your self-esteem? It also may be kind of Lord of the Fliesy because Ooh, good reference. Everybody's being brought in at the exa- exact same level, right? So there's no management, right? There's no report, like a reporting structure. Mm-hmm. There's just it's just sales. So there's there's no accountability for folks who aren't maybe. Uh, advocating correctly for the brand, right? And I, that could harbor bitterness, and I'm I'm sure it just gets super messy. And oh, absolutely, it's the problem with not having an HR department. Gang, gang. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's fantastic and so brilliant. Thank you. I had so much fun researching MLMs, um, and definitely went down a few rabbit holes. So I love it. Thank you for joining me on the ride. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we are talking about some history. And we're back. And we are back. We're going to be talking about the Colosseum today. Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) The the Roman Colosseum? That is is correct. Are there other Colosseums? The Greensboro Colosseum. The Greensboro Colosseum, (laughs) yes. That is is what I'm going to be talking about today. Right, right. Um, Historical events, including our college graduation there, etc., etc. I skipped out on our college graduation. Did you? I did. It felt like a lot of people. Yeah, I wish I didn't go. Yeah, my mom took me out to dinner instead. That's awesome. It was a great plan. I went to the, like, individual program one, but then Mm -hmm. skipped the big one. Mm. I did the opposite. Because I was double majoring, and so Mm -hmm. I felt like... So I sat with my religious studies cohort. Should have sat with the communications people. It was messy. They're chattier. 
And there were more of them. Right, right. There were like six of us, I think. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. They've both come in handy. Oh, yeah. Located just east of the Roman Forum. And just north on Lee Street. There we go. The massive stone amphitheater known as the Colosseum was commissioned between 70 and 72 AD by Emperor Vespasian. 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 V-E-S-P-A-S-I-A-N. Glad that was not in any spelling bees when I was coming I know. In the year 80 AD, Vespasian's son opened the Colosseum. It was then officially known as the Flavian Amphitheater. He Hmm. opened it with a hundred days of games, including gladiatorial combats, you know, the gladiators. I do, I do. Wild animal fights. Oh, like with bears? With bears and... Back of Notre Dame-esque? Yes. The amphitheater had 400 years of use before it fell into disrepair. It's impressive. Currently, over two-thirds of the original Colosseum have been destroyed over time. But the amphitheater remains a popular tourist destination. And it's an iconic symbol of Rome with its long and tumultuous history. I bet that Colosseum has seen some shit. Oh, my God. I'm going to tell you all about it. Down. It's wild. It's also something I just cannot understand. Right. Like, the, the culture was so different. Yeah. Violence was your form of entertainment. Yeah. That, I... Say I, more. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think in a lot of ways, violence still is... A major form of entertainment. Like, not just boxing, but football, wrestling, like, sports in general are violent. Um, but also, like, there are so many people who just get satisfaction from either watching other people get hurt or schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. <laughs> this, I'm sure, is a little bit more violent than schadenfreude typically, but yeah, I'm sure you'll get into I'm it. I'm going to go ahead and say yes. That is true. So, our story begins in year 68. Just 68. Just 68. Yeah. Huh. So, also, going back to last week's episode, this is pre, you know, the big tree ring incident. Oh, right. A a 563, 36? 63. 63. Yep. I have literally been telling everybody about that since our last podcast episode. Everyone should know. Tell your friends. How did we not know about this? Send them the link. Okay, so the Colosseum survived the worst decade in history. It did not. It It did not. It had 400 years. That's right. Fell fell into disrepair before that. So maybe there's a correlation there. You know what I mean? Following up the Colosseum. Link up, link up. Who's to say? Sure. The Roman Emperor Nero had taken his own life, leaving. The emperor position available. Nero had essentially misruled, and be- and because of this, there were several civil wars during and following his death. Four emperors took the throne in the years after Nero's death, the fourth of which is our guy, Vespasian. 
I love when we mention our guy yeah. in episodes. Yep. All right, main character, Vespasian. So he would end up ruling for 10 years between 69 and 79. And after his rule, his son would take over. Uh, his name was Titus. And then the other brother, his other son, Domitian? Domitian. Amadeus, Amadeus. Mm-hmm. Overall, the platform of all three of these men were to attempt to tone down the internal drama and politics of the Roman court. Right. To restore Senate authority and to promote public welfare. So, sort of like why we elected Biden. Sure. Tone down, you know, get back yeah. to status quo. Get him out of here. Right, right. Around 70 to 72... Vespasian visited a site in the middle of the city where Nero had built a huge palace for himself. Vespasian vowed that on this land, he would build a new amphitheater where people could enjoy entertainment of people killing each other. What Mm. brings a community together (laughs) more than death? More than beheadings and death Mm -hmm. and fighting bears. Correct. Literally nothing. I have sprinkled some fun facts in there. Oh, good. Around around my notes, one of which is that the Colosseum contained both drinking fountains and latrines, like bathrooms. Huh. I was really hoping you were going to say beer fountains, because that no, sounds like fun. No, I don't know. I'm sure there were vendors that set up shop outside of the Colosseum. For sure. I mean, you, yeah, you would probably want a beer, that's for sure. Yeah. Also, water, I'm not sure what the water situation was like back then. I'm assuming not great, but we have drinking fountains and bathrooms. Correct. So, we've taken a step, in, a major step in the right direction. Did those come from the same water source? Potentially. Who's to say? <laughs> <laughs> Who are we to judge? So, let's talk about the building of the Colosseum. The construction took almost 10 years, which sounds like forever, but... It's, it's not really, it's actually fairly quickly for like the time period, considering that it was such a huge project. Well, and it was stones, right? Mm-hmm. Not like concrete that you could mix up on a truck and have delivered. Well, actually, we're going to get to it. I don't remember where, but it's stones and concrete. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But they did not have concrete trucks. No, they did not. Okay. No, they didn't have any trucks. <laughs> <laughs> Titus officially dedicated the Colosseum... In, eight, in the year 80 AD, with a festival including a hundred days of games. A well-loved ruler, Titus had earned his people's devotion with his handling of recovery effects after the infamous eruption of the volcano. Not our volcano. There's so many volcanoes. Why but the are there so many volcano Vesuvius in 79, which destroyed. Vesuvius? Vesuvius, shit. which destroyed the town of Herculeum and Pompeii. Right, right. You may have heard of it. Ever heard of it. It's pronounced Vesuvius. God. We should do Pompeii. Yeah. If you don't want to do Pompeii, let me know. Maybe we can switch up an episode because I'd love to do Pompeii. Yeah. Oh, sure. Everyone dies. There were no survivors. (laughs) The final stage of construction of the Colosseum were complete under the reign of Titus's brother and successor, Dumitin. So nobody's getting to see this thing play out. Right, right. Measuring some 62 by 513 feet, the Colosseum was the largest amphitheater in the Roman world. 
Unlike many earlier amphitheaters, which had been dug into hillsides to provide like adequate support, the Colosseum was a freestanding structure made of stones and concrete. The distinctive exterior had three stories of arched entrances. There were a total of 80, supported by these semicircular columns. And each of the stories contained columns of a different color or style. So that was like an intentional architectural choice. Ooh, I didn't know the columns were all different colors. Mm -hmm. Either different colors or different styles. Huh. I mean, you know, it's all tan. Right, right. But different shades. Correct. (laughs) <laughs> very cool <laughs> they weren't using like prime no colors no pastels <laughs> located just near the main entrance of the Colosseum was the ark of constantine built in 315 in honor of constantine the first's victory over maxentius oh shit these words are tough maxentius and pons milvus yep sure inside the Colosseum. It had seating for more than 50,000 spectators. It's impressive. Yeah. Who may have been arranged according to social ranking, but more likely were placed into the space, the spaces like sardines, like just shove them on in there. (laughs) Judging by evidence from seating from other Roman amphitheaters, that was kind of the, like everybody just cram in. Sure, sure. Awnings were rolled out from the top story in order to protect the audience from the hot Roman sun as they watched the gladiator combats, hunts, wild animal fights, and possibly even larger combat such as naval reenactments. Damn. Which we'll kind of get to. Can I tell you that this sort of reminds me, you did you read The Hunger Games or you've yeah. seen The Hunger Games? Oh my god, I've read I've read all of them. Did you read The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is no, like the, the sequel? New one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Highly recommend. But they talk about the very first Hunger Games and it takes place similar in a like building similar to the Coliseum. Oh. Is how I describe or how it's described. Creepy. So I'm just now imagining like watching kids killing each other also. Oh, a hundred percent. In addition to all the horrible things they're already watching. There were no rules. Everyone dies. Everyone dies. The vast majority of the participants who fought in front of the Colosseum audiences in ancient Rome were men, though there were some female gladiators. Gladiators were generally enslaved people, condemned criminals, or prisoners of war. Yikes. Mm -hmm. The Colosseum saw four centuries of active use until the struggle of the Western Roman Empire and the gradual change in public tastes... Because people were like, maybe this sucks. Is this not a great way to spend a Saturday before going to church on a Sunday? (laughs) So those changes in public taste put an end to the gladiator combats and other large public entertainments by the 6th century. Even by that time, the area had suffered damages due to natural phenomenon such as lightning and earthquakes. In the centuries to come, the Colosseum was abandoned completely and used as a quarry for numerous building projects, including the Cathedral of St. Peter. They also used it for, you know, other really important, um, you know, they were storing, they were just storing stuff there that would eventually become part of these like really famous architectural works. Beginning in the 18th century, however, various people sought to conserve 
to conserve the arena as a sacred Christian site. Though it is in fact uncertain whether early Christian martyrs met their fate in the Colosseum, as some have speculated. We're going to get into that in just a second. Okay. By the 20th century, a combination of weather, natural disasters, neglect, and vandalism had destroyed nearly two-thirds of the original Colosseum, which included all of the arena's marble seats and its decorative elements. Restoration efforts began in the 1990s and have proceeded over the years, as the Colosseum continues to be a leading attraction for tourists all over the world. So now we've talked about the Colosseum itself. Let's get into the gritty details of some of the gladiators and those who were fighting. All right. The Colosseum can be regarded by Christians as a place of martyrdom for large numbers of Christians during the prosecution of the Christians of the Roman Empire. Um, some say they were executed as if they were criminals in the Colosseum. I think we've all kind of heard heard of this, yeah. right? The crime that they would have been committing is that they refuse to believe and pray to the Roman gods. There is an account. Go ahead. Well, I was just, I, I think it's so interesting how small the world feels at this point in time. Like, um, Jerusalem is so far away from Rome, right? Mm-hmm. And so much it happens in that part of the world. Like, that's the birthplace of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Mm-hmm. And yet, like, we have letters to the Romans and from the Romans that are captured in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, the world seems so small compared to, like, how we would imagine it now. So I'm just, like, trying to... Because the Bible wasn't first published until after this was written, right? Or after this building was constructed. So, like, this is sort of a... It's not contemporary to what's going on, but it's pretty close. Right, right. Like, relatively, like, in terms of time, it's within a couple hundred years. So, knowing, so the Bible that we know it today would not have been published during this time. It would have been more first-hand accounts of Jesus and the the letters from Paul. Which is just wild to me. I know. So, that's why I'm sitting over here and I'm, like, trying to put together the timeline of, like, the mm-hmm. Bible and all that's happening. Mm-hmm. And then Romans, like, the books of the Bible and... Mm-hmm. Anyways, so Christians are being martyred. Christians are being martyred, yes. And that's not, you know, we're not we're we're not saying that they're not uh because they definitely were. Christians were definitely prosecuted, that is an absolute fact, but there was some speculation on a couple of the pieces that we'll talk about. Like who and when and why and how? Well, specifically, there's an account of some Christians that were fed to lions in the Colosseum. I don't know if you've ever heard of that around <laughs> 170 or 107. Oh, I was thinking of, is it Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel in the lion's den. Oh, okay. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, but this was actually, uh, you know, lions and them in the Colosseum. However, there is some debate about whether the, these incidences took place in the Colosseum or if it was in another location around Rome mm. or if it's, you know, this particular trope with the lions happened at all. Right. Um, so, again, Christians were absolutely prosecuted. Oh, for sure. But um, some speculation on the lion piece. Okay. But speaking of lions, some gladiators fought against animals. 
such as bears, rhinos, tigers, elephants, and giraffes. Giraffes? I know. I In my notes, I say, OMG, why? <laughs> why would you target the why? giraffes? I don't know. They literally never did anything no. to nobody. No. They just have long purple tongues. They are leaf eaters. They just want to be great out in the savannah. Yeah. So sometimes they had the animals fighting the gladiators, but sometimes they had hungry animals fighting each other. Gladiators would often fight each other, often pairing like a larger person with a smaller weapon to a smaller person like who was considered more fast and quick with a larger weapon. So there was a lot of interest in what is better, being big or being fast. Right. So right. there was a lot of 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 being paired up with these odd these odd pairings just to kind of see what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They often wanted to see opposites fighting in the ring. They also raced chariots. They held these races in the Colosseum on special racetracks called circuses. Huh? Mm-hmm. Is that that's where circus comes from? I think so. What? In these chariot races. Two or four horses, uh, two or four horse chariots ran seven laps around to see who would, who would win. Alternatively, there were horse races. Um, some of the combat would also take places on horses, but ultimately they would end up in hand-to-hand combat. Sure, sure. Gladiators would train in a school that was across the street from the Coliseum. There, gladiators would learn how to fight. They would use learn how to use weapons. There were actual physical requirements. Hey, go run 20 laps or whatever. Yeah. It was a combination of a gym slash training center. Slash CrossFit center. Slash prison. Ooh, shit. Mm-hmm. So those who were enslaved, like people were purchased for the intention of them becoming gladiators. Um, and then also it would be, you know, I sentence you to fight in the Coliseum. So depending on which one of those you are, you get more time in the training center. Um, there's also people who volunteered as tribute. So let's say you were of a low ranking status in the Or city. the little sister of... <clears throat> um, Catnip <laughs> Neverdean. Cat, Catnip Neverdean. Um... Yeah, so, like, let's say you were of a low status and you wanted a chance to win your fortunes and become famous, you would volunteer to go into the schools and ultimately uh-huh. end up being in the Coliseum mm-hmm. fights. There's a lot of, there's a lot on the line. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you seen The Knight's Tale? Absolutely. That's Ray's favorite movie. Different era. Similar, similar storyline, though, of, like, a man can rewrite... Rewrite his stars. Rewrite his stars. I was about to say that. Um, So, you know, giving people a chance if you don't die. Right. If you don't die. Right. So regardless of why you were sentenced, you still had the uh, option of glory in the end. So that was kind of what was keeping all of these people motivated. Mm -hmm. Something that I thought was particularly creepy was that there was this extensive tunnel system below the Colosseum. It would connect the training center to the Colosseum. 
So those who were going to fight would go underground to, to go over to the Colosseum. But there was also an extensive tunnel and trap door system underneath the main stage of the Colosseum. So there was a series of these underground routes that would house the people who were waiting to fight. So if you are a gladiator, you are waiting underneath the ground, hearing everything that's happening above you, how, waiting for your turn. How terrifying. Like, what a psychological experience. 100%. Um, and either letting, like, regardless of how you feel about the potential outcomes, just hearing other people fight to the death has to be terrifying. Absolutely. And under these trap doors, they would be able to access the main floor. Mm -hmm. So uh, sometimes this happened, depending on how shitty the, the, the games makers were. Let's say you fought to the death and you've, you won. Like, oh my God, it's a miracle. Yeah. They may open up the trap door and send another Somebody else person <gasps> or an animal. No. Just to kind of mix it up. Can you imagine? It's so terrible. We do not have to make up horrible things about history. No. They've all happened. I know. Dystopian novels don't need much imagination. Just read a history book. Read a book. Read a book. Read a book. Specifically, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. <laughs> So, during a day of a gladiator's game, they would do the events in a very specific order. Quote, The order of events on the opening day of a festival or gladiator games started with the parades and procession called the Pampa. The gladiator games continued throughout the day with the following events. First was the animal hunts. These shows were called venations and the animal hunters were called venators and they replicated hunting scenes involving many different wild animals emperors would join in these events in the gladiator games shooting animals using a bow and arrow except for that it was from the comfort of their imperial box sure so they comfort were actually safety on the floor right the bestiari came next in the games, and these were when gladiators trained to fight the, quote, savage beasts, such as lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Oh my. Criminals were sentenced to fight wild beasts at the games, but a lot of times the criminals, depending on when they got to the training center, were not, they were not particularly skilled, and sometimes they were not given weapons or armor. Oh, so... So it's a death sentence. Great. Hate that. Mary Diani is next, which is the lightly armed gla gladiator fights, uh, which happened in the middle of the day. So um, a, lot of, a lot of the different armors were based on the armors that they're... Uh, like the uh, surrounding... Uh, countries and cities had so it was kind of and they weren't necessarily for protection it was so that they could kind of Represent. replicate the killing of of the enemy wow mm -hmm. so um and and you know they they felt like they were the superior you know i mean and granted they were the largest civilization in that particular area but um 
you know, so they may have somebody may be wearing armor from somewhere way across the sea uh, that wouldn't necessarily be uh, appropriate for a Roman Colosseum fight. Right, right. The next section was when criminals provided comedic relief for the audience. They would wear helmets without an opening for the eyes, and they fought blindfolded sometimes. And basically, they would use that as as comedic effect because their their senses were taken away, and people for some reason thought that was funny. But still fighting to the death, by the way. Sure, sure. So it's giving like parade of fools. Correct. That's exactly right. Yeah. At noon, the executions were scheduled at the games. Oh, because you know what's more fun than watching executions? Sure, sure, sure. Because we've not been watching them all morning, right? But. Now it's on the calendar or on the schedule for the day. So not only were there executions, but there were also also torture that was happening for the you know enjoyment of the crowd. So there would be a variation of executions in various ways, um, and then also various torture devices being brought out for entertainment. In late afternoon, the most important event of the day, the gladiatorial games and the combats would take place. The gladiator fight started with um, kind of smaller weapons where they would fight with whips and clubs and shields, and then they would move on to some of the larger weapons. Some actual battles were reenacted at the gladiator games. So we kind of talked a, a little bit earlier about how they would flood the amphitheater to reenact like battleship scenes uh-huh which is just For the navy yes which is just an ama- amazing like performance art piece sure except that i assume they're actually killing people that is true right right thinking of our own like battle reenactments here like you can go and watch them and people quote unquote like die out on the battlefield and all of that but they they aren't dead no they're not that's i think a vital piece to being able to enjoy any of it is that the people aren't actually dead. Correct. So interesting here that they lose their actors after each uh, reenactment. Right. Right. Doesn't seem very sustainable to me. No. And, and I'm speculating here, but there could be people planted. Sure. You know, sure. I don't know. I'm not sure that some people part. who survive each time. Right. Cause it like, think about jesters. Jesters have existed God forever. Right. They, they were highly uh, respected, mm-hmm. but they, they would also have been a part of something like this. They, yeah. not necessarily gladiators, but I mean, cause we got to have a little bit of fun while we're at it. Right. 100%. So no matter how you slice it, the entertainment was violent. And although there were a lot of death, there was a lot of death, there was some glory. Gladiators only had to fight a few times a year. The successful ones, anyway. Uh, That's because you don't want to kill all your successful ones by making them fight every other day. That's fair. You're going to wear them out. They were seen as celebrities, and sometimes the potential outcome outweighed the risks. Are you familiar with Spartacus? I have never seen Spartacus. So the general, so this is, the story goes that Spartacus was um, enslaved, Uh went to the training camp, Mm -hmm. and rose up, rose up to fight the... (laughs) 
excuse me, <laughs> rose up to fight the, the people who were creating the games. So he broke out with an army of like 100,000 guys. Um, and for like two years, they were like doing the damn thing out there. They eventually lost. Oh, and he was eventually spoiler. killed. But what it did was it it created more boundaries in the training camps. They're like, uh-huh. th- now they weren't going to give people their weapons until right before they went out onto the field. So it 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 helped the evolution in a really negative way for right. those. So it was a failed union. Correct. Failed unionization. They were successful for a while. But anyway, it's all crazy. That would have definitely made for some better references. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot. That's okay. I was working on some like um, Hercules references. Hercules. Right, right. Or uh, Prince of Egypt came to mind, especially Mm. in the chariot races. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, but that's all I got for you. That's okay. But that's the Colosseum. That's the Colosseum. Fascinating. Let's talk about intersections. So there were multiple levels to the Colosseum. There we go. There we go. (laughs) Um, I think that there's a a sense of community. Like, I imagine that the gladiators, especially the successful ones, um, felt the sense of community and connectedness to each other um, that maybe was not understood, potentially. That's fair. Except that they were seen as, like champions and mm-hmm. we're celebrated i don't know but if you're celebrated enough in an mlm you get a pink cadillac that's true that's true what do the gladiators get other than to not die yeah they i mean they would get you know a pink cadillac a pink cadillac they would get a big cement truck <laughs> <laughs> i mean they would get to live and people would think they were heroes and yeah. with that comes wealth and sure the ladies ladies um I think the small number of people who were successful stands out to me as an intersection. Um, Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of people who had to lose in order for those people to be successful. Well, and what is the purpose? Is it for for those people to succeed? No. Yeah. It's for the greater, larger business at hand. Right, right. So, the people, like, who's actually running the show... Mm -hmm is not the gladiators who just so happen to be surviving and making money. It's the gamekeepers, baby. It's the gamekeepers. That's a cool intersection. That's a really good one. Boom. Beautiful. Boom. Nailed it. Did that. Woo! I was a little worried at first. I was like, how are we going to find anything? <laughs> we always make it fit. We always make it work. We do. It's a fun it's a fun challenge each time. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, what are you doing, you silly goose? Please do that. Head on over there. You can follow us on Instagram. We are at pod without an odd. And please interact with us on Instagram. We post questions and pictures, and we would love to hear from you. Um, Share us. Share with us about... Yeah, or share us, too. (laughs) Um... But any of your girl math experiences, were you in an MLM? Mm-hmm. Are you currently in an MLM? Yeah. Keep us posted. I want to know all those things. I do, too. I can't guarantee that we will buy anything. But we would definitely like to hear about your experiences. 100%. We care about you as a human. <laughs> or a gladiator. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. 
And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanaudd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.